truly it is a blessing to be able to be with you and to be at this time. Rebecca and I just celebrated 25 years on the 12th, oh no, on the 9th. We had a little gathering on the 12th, but we were married on October 9th of 94, and it's been a, it's been a blessed 25 years, and we're nice to be able to be back with you for a few moments here, and to open the Bible and to seek these things that our soul loves, the favorite subject of our soul. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. This is how we live. This is how we stay alive. This is how we come to life. It's through this word. Now, I was thinking recently of, uh, I don't know how many of you listen to uh, radio ministry at all, but I do all the time. I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the vehicle a lot, so I listen to the radio. I listen to a lot of radio ministries, and there's so much emphasis on this false teaching that Jesus is going to spend time on this earth. And we don't find that in the Bible, and we don't, in Lutheran theology, we never believe that. It's a very modern uh, teaching, but it is so common now. It's everywhere. And uh, concerning how we come to life, I had the thought that we understand these things in the light of what Jesus says in John, John 5, when he says, The hour is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. And that period of time is now, when we hear the voice of Jesus, and those of us that hear, that have ears to hear his voice, it is a resurrecting voice of Jesus, and we come to life, and we're able to live spiritually before him. We are able to, and in that coming to life, there's a whole, there's a whole, we could say a process that happens where we have the, we have the fear of God in our hearts and we have our state of soul becomes apparent before the mirror of His Word, before His law, before His perfection, before His holiness. We find in, our, in the reflection of that holiness, we find what we are like. And we find that we have been, we are dead in trespasses and sins in our flesh and in our natural state. Because of the fall of our first parents, we, have, we are separated from God and we need the power of God to come back to life, to spiritual life. We need to experience His grace and His mercy. And in that, as I call it a process, the process of new birth, when sin becomes exceedingly sinful, when we begin to question, am I saved? Am I really saved? If Jesus was to part the clouds and descend right now, will He take me with Him? That is a very important question to ask ourselves. Will I be among those on, on his right hand when he says, Come, ye blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world? Because there is another side of that, there's another group too, that is on his left side. And to those, he says those fearful, horrible words, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so we find that, in the urgency of 
the salvation of our soul. We find that the loss, what is a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We find the loss is exceedingly great. We cannot describe the loss for a person to lose their soul and to not be with Jesus, to not go to heaven, to be not to be to be cast out from the presence of God for all eternity. An eternity of torment, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Jesus describes the state of the lost in hell very clearly in many places. And it is a it is a terrifying picture that he gives. And on the other hand, we have the state of the blessed, of those that have heard the voice of Jesus, have acknowledged their sins and their and their and their and their, 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 their depravity, the, the inward corruption that we have, and have come to a place of brokenness, a place where we don't have anything to claim on ourselves. We have nothing. We have nothing to offer God. But we come to Him with a broken and a contrite heart, and He He looks unto those that are broken and have a contrite heart, who are who are sorry for their sins. That is the one whom the Lord looks unto, and His delight, His delight is to show mercy to us. God, God is love, and He that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in Him. The love of God is such that He, His greatest desire is to show mercy unto us. He wants us to receive us, and He wants us to be able to rejoice in Him, and He wants He, he rejoices in us, and we in Him when we come to Him and when we appreciate what He did when He came to become one of us that we celebrate at Christmas time when the Son of God came to be born of a woman when He came to be born in that stable manger in such a lowly way to be born among the animals and to take up His place in this earth took upon Himself our flesh became one of us lived the perfect life and then he offered himself as a sacrifice unto, the, unto God on account of in our place, taking upon himself all of our sins upon the cross. When he was nailed to the cross and he shed all of his holy blood onto the ground, that sin-forgiving blood of Jesus that we that we appreciate today, the power of that sin-forgiving blood that he shed, so that we can, when we have the fear of God in our hearts, when we have the knowledge of our sins then we can rejoice and we can cling unto that, unto that blood that is so, that, that real blood that is shed for real sins so that we know that when we close our eyes to this life that we have the peace of God. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. We have a glorious, glorious eternity to look forward to. This is not the end. This is just the beginning of life. And we are looking forward to going to a world that is much more beautiful than this one. This, this world has been cursed. God created everything good in the beginning. But because of sin, this, this earth is now cursed. He says, cursed is the ground for thy sake. Thorns and thistles it brings forth. And there is labor and sorrow and trouble in every way. There are still the remnants of, of God's beauty here. We have so many beautiful natural things. And we have so many beautiful things that he has left us, the, the love of families and, 
and love of friends, and and uh, we have the 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 joy we have in being a little bit creative in different ways and stuff. But but for the most part, this world is is cursed by sin, and there's always sorrow just around the corner. There's always trouble. It seems like just just ahead, and so. We are living in that hope that one day we will live in a much more better world. I thought I would read for, uh, well, before I go into my text here of Revelation 3, as, as we sung in that first song there, the rocks and the hills and the trees all belong to God, and He has, and he has created them, and he has, he has shown us things in, in, in nature, in all of His beautiful design of nature. He, it, it, it all speaks of Him. How it says in, in, in how Paul writes in Romans Romans one that the invisible things of the Creator from the beginning of the world are clearly seen, being understood in the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that all of the evidence of His wisdom, of His design, is all there in the rocks and in the trees and in the and in the living organisms, and all of the design is put into the smallest things to the largest things. The design is so, it is so, he is, he, he made it so complex so that we would just be in awe of him. If you look at the design of the bumblebee, how every, everything is fit together perfectly, how he builds his bee's nest with all the hexagon shapes all fit together perfectly, and uh, it is just so that we would be in awe of his, how does he do it? How does, and you know, I was I was watching a video here a while back of the of the of the complexity of the of the protein molecule. And if, you've, if, you've, if you've ever said anything anything about that, how the how all of the amino uh, all of the possible combinations of amino acids come together in like 150 different combinations to create this protein chain, in, 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 so so that it actually works, so that the, so that the, the creature can be alive. It is it is awe-inspiring, and the like the chances of these things coming together in, in a random order is like there isn't enough molecules or atoms in the entire universe if you mix it all up to, to get it to come out in the perfect way. His his he has placed his his design in every way from the laws of gravity, how everything is so fine-tuned, even on the out in the universe. And the way the planets are all like counterweights to help keep the earth where it's, where it's supposed to be and everything. It is something that he just wants us to be in awe of him. How, how, does, how, how did you do it? We, we don't know. We can't figure it out. How, how the laws of nature are such to keep everything in, in perfect order. How it's like everything is held together by electromagnetism. Every, all, of the, all of the molecules and all of the elements come together. To make, to make the world what it is. By the word of his power, he holds everything together. And he, and he owns everything. And he just wants us to give him glory. And in the end, he is going to dissolve it. He is going to dissolve this world. It says in Peter, Peter writes that, The heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt in fervent heat. He says, "Wherefore, seeing that things that seeing that seeing that these things are going to happen like this, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So that this is a temporary place. This is no permanent place. 
this is a direct contrast to so much of the teaching that is out there today. And uh, the, 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 uh, the mistaken notions of the millennia. As I began to say, the first resurrection is when we hear the voice of Jesus and we come to life. The second resurrection is what Jesus speaks of also in that same place in John 5 when he says the hour is coming when all that are in the graves will hear his voice and they shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. If I could find that place here real quick, I'll just read that, a couple of things from that to you here in the, in the end. of. My, I actually have a revelation text today. So, right here. No, I'm in the wrong spot. Right here. And I saw thrones. This is uh, in chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with them a thousand years. I believe that this period of time is right now. We are priests of God and of Christ. We have experienced the first resurrection that Jesus speaks of. We have come to, we have come through the, the, the new birth. Jesus has been born in our hearts by His Spirit. He lives within us and we are alive. We are alive and we know things and we have feeling and we follow the Lord and He and we are walking with God. We are walking humbly with Him. And the rest of the dead will all come back to life again. Just as that one song says how millions from the graves are going to awake in overwhelmed surprise when Jesus comes back and raises all that have ever lived back to life again. And then there's going to be a judgment, which we read about in this same, in this same chapter 20. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. This is a picture here that is absolutely awesome. Everybody that has ever lived, the small and the great, from the smallest, the smallest children, the smallest that, that had life, the smallest unborn, all the way up unto the great men of the earth, the wealthy, the powerful, the huge men, the giants that lived beforehand. Every, everybody that lived before the flood, and there were giants in those days all standing before the throne of God. And the books were opened. There's going to be books that are opened at that time. Everything that everybody has ever done is recorded in God's books. His books of memory, of conscience, his historical records that he has. 
every thought we've thought that we've ever had, every word we've said, his judgment is so fine and it is so perfect. He says, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. When we consider every thought, every word, how much we need the forgiveness of our sins. Because I know what I am like. I know what my thoughts are like. What my words can be like. God give us grace and give us power over our tongue, as, as, as James says. The tongue is a little member, but it can kindle such a great fire of evil. That we could, God would set a watch at the door of our lips, that we would say good things and helpful things. And things that build up rather than the things that hurt. And so, and the books were opened. And another book was opened. This is the most important book. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So that book of life that, that God has, that is where our names are. When we have believed in Jesus and we have heard the gospel message that our sins are forgiven, when we've been able to believe with the faith that God has given us that we are His children. Oh, that God would, would strengthen that faith within us, that we would always be able to believe and to be able to have the joy of the Lord. Because that is how we live as happy Christians, when we have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. Then we're able to follow Him. We're able to resist the devil. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God, He will draw nigh unto you. And so when we have the joy of the Lord, the joy is when we are free. When we have the freedom that our sins are gone and that God sees us in the perfection that He sees His own Son, that His own Son has. He takes away our sins. It's called the great exchange. He takes away all of our sins and He gives us His perfection, His holiness. And God sees us in that perfect robe of righteousness that, that He provides for us. And so this is freedom when we know that we are perfect in the sight of God and our eternity is secure. Because when, when our eternity is not secure, there is life, there is, there is no fun in anything. There is no joy in anything. When, when you're not sure if you're going to heaven, when you're not sure if you're saved, this is not a good place to live. It's better to Come to Jesus, and where do we find Jesus but but in His church, among His people, when we have the word of the gospel among us? This is the this is this is the difference in Lutheran in Lutheran teaching is that we have these visible outward they're called the means of grace, where where we can know that we have the grace of God. Jesus has not left us with like a mystical. Uh, a doctrine where we're not—we're never really sure about anything. He has given us these things. One is the preaching of the gospel. We can hear with our own ears that our sins are forgiven. 
We can hear about Jesus. We can hear we can we can we can hear it said to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And we have the power of the keys. We have the power of the absolution message when 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 the ambassadors, the Christians, which are the ambassadors for Christ, are able to speak unto us with the same authority that Jesus has to forgive our sins. And it is testified multiple places in the New Testament that the church has this authority. And how blessed it is when we receive this authority. You know, I read uh, quite a bit about, uh, uh, perhaps you've also noticed this in in, uh, some of the uh, other very gifted writers like John Bunyan. Very gifted in his Pilgrim's Progress and his other books. How he, he wrote in one place that when, as long as he was in the pulpit, he seemed to have assurance of grace. And he had power to preach. But when he came down from the pulpit, he was assaulted by the devil. And the devil told him, how can you even be a Christian? You've, you've sinned such grievous sins in your, in your life and in your youth. And how do you know that they're washed away? And he labored under this bondage like this, oftentimes throughout his life. And I thought to myself, he needed to hear the absolution. He needed to be able to confess what he had done. He needed to be able to lay it open before other Christians. Lay it open before God. Not hiding anything before God or man. When the Holy Ghost is calling us to himself, he doesn't allow us to hide behind anything. He wants us to be true. He works truth in the inward parts so that we want to make a full confession, and we want to live in truth. Because the whole, when we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not satisfied. He is not at, He doesn't give us peace if we're not walking in truth. And walking in truth does, means that we don't conceal secret sins. We don't abide sin in any part of our life when we have power to, to, to live differently. We are not the devil's puppets. We are, our, our, our flesh is always evil and it is never going to repent. But we have the power of Jesus. We have the power to live a different life through the Holy Spirit. Even though we still sin much every day in weakness and deserve nothing but punishment. We are not saved because of our obedience. We're not saved because of the way we live our life. Otherwise, we, are, we have no hope at all. We have no peace at all. If anything is dependent on what we do, we can never do it perfectly. And we can never know if we've done it perfectly. That's the difference between living Christianity and so many of the other religions in the world. They all require something of you. Some kind of, a, some kind of a obedience to some, some religion or some code. And in that, Luther writes how the, in the Muslims never have any peace that they've ever fulfilled anything properly. They never get any word from God that, oh, now you've done enough and now you're, you're acceptable. There's always this this bit of fear and always this striving and never attaining it. This is the difference between when Jesus gives us his, the, his holiness by His Spirit. We have the peace of God which passes understanding because it's not dependent on us. Because we can do nothing without Him. And so I, I've lost where I was even going with all that. But we're going to go back to now to... Um, We'll go to our we'll go to our text here. I don't know how much time we have, but um, chapter three, 
kind of reading through chapter 3 of, of Revelation here. And I had wanted to even refer to a little bit to chapter 2. Only because I want to touch on the things that are helpful to us so that we can, so that we can, and we can have a little bit of strength with the help of God, that God would, by His Spirit, as our brother prayed, that God would fill our needs that we have, because I don't know what you need, and you don't know what the battles I have, but God knows everything. He knows us much better than we know ourselves. And so, asking that God would feed us with His Word and motivate us in His joy so that we want to follow Him and the joy of the Bible and the Gospel is our greatest joy. So that there is nothing else in this world that satisfies, that satisfies the longings of our heart, that fills that void that we have. I think it's Augustine that uh, said that we have, a, we have a hunger for God that is never satisfied until God fills it. Like a God-shaped hole in our heart, as some have, some have said. That once we have... Jesus by His Spirit living there, then we are satisfied. Then we know, well, we understand what life is all about. Life doesn't make any sense otherwise. As some have said, without, without God and without God's plan for our life, and knowing that God loves us and that we have, that all of the strivings of this present time will all be explained one day, and we will, it will all make sense, and we will, this is a preparation for the true life which is to come. Eternal life begins now when we're following Jesus. But without the overarching, sovereign plan of God upon our lives, life doesn't make any sense. As some have said, it becomes like a, a tale told by an idiot. It makes no sense at all. What is the meaning of it? How blessed... And that we see, we see the confusion in people's lives today. We see people obviously lost and very confused and strung out on drugs and alcohol and we see the broken the, the brokenness of life in every way and we see that people need Jesus they need the gospel message but they also need a will to follow him it can be abundantly proved that God created everything beyond the absolute shadow of any doubt it can be proved from from a very reasonable viewpoint that there is absolutely no chance of anything happening without God. And, but as the one famous atheist said, I think it was Nietzsche, he said that even if we could be shown that God is, we don't want to follow him anyway. It's the will that God, that God needs to reach us in our will and change our will so that we want to follow him. And it is, it is only, it is so nonsensical not to follow God. Why would anybody live without the, in this world, without the assurance of God's love, of His protection, of His care? Who would want to live a day without, without the grace of God upon your life? And without, without hope? Without hope for eternity? Because, as Luther also writes, those the unbelievers serve the devil for very poor wages. Life is very hard. Life, you think you think life is hard for you? It's hard for everybody. Everybody life is not easy for anybody. This is a cursed place. 
There is illness, there is a catastrophic diagnosis, like a big, like a cancer diagnosis around the corner for everybody. We are all terminal, and it is, it is, there is, like Luther also writes, that there are like, this life has, it's like there's daggers aimed at us from every, every side. Just going down the road is dangerous. You have to, you have to be very careful to live safely. And so, but to live without without the hope of God and without God's power and His plan and His protection, very poor wages, Luther says. And in the end, the devil takes your soul. And so, it is much more reasonable. That's been my argument the whole time. It is much more reasonable to be a Christian and to come to Jesus and to follow Him. There is nothing to lose and there is everything to gain. I can't remember that... Uh, that one paradigm or that or that one uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't even go into it if I can't remember it properly but there, there, is, there is the thought that in following Jesus there is almost nothing to lose okay the pleasures of the sinful life but what does that bring no end of heartache illness, disease broken lives, broken relationships everything that comes along with sin Sin brings, sin brings sorrow with it too. And, but there is, look, at, look what there is to gain in following Jesus. We gain the hope of eternal life, number one, which is unfathomable. A life that will never end. He says, come, let us reason together. Let us reason together. Come and we'll make, I'll make you a deal. Let's talk about this. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I will take everything away from you, and I will make you perfect. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And I will give you my peace. I will give you my blessings. I will put my blessing upon your life. And everything will now begin to make sense where it didn't before. Chapter 3, I'm going to read uh, a little bit from chapter 2 to begin with here. Let me know if we're, if we're, if we're exceeding our time here, if anybody gets too worn out, because we're not 100% spiritual. We're not 100% spiritual, I'm aware of that. We, are, we have bodies of clay, we, these bodies have needs, we need to eat, drink, sleep. We need to have some recreation, we need to be loved, and we cannot necessarily stay in church all day. Remember how that young man, Eutychus, after Paul was long preaching, he was sleeping like up, up in an open window, probably a fairly thick wall, you know, and he was sleeping in an open window, and he fell asleep, and he slumped over, and he fell, and he died from that long sermon. And Paul took him up and brought him back to life again. And so, truly an opportunity for a powerful miracle there at that time. Chapter 2 of uh, Revelation. Because I wanted to touch a little bit about this first love, which is so important, as when we're following Jesus. You know, the, the gospel, as my Uncle Jim used to say, the gospel is like a, a diamond that has a thousand facets. This has a thousand different cuts and sides to it. And as you travel around this diamond, as the light's hitting it from different, different ways, you see different, different, different beauties and different understandings and different revelations come from this beautiful diamond. And so... There is no end of interesting things in the Bible and in the following of our Lord. Chapter 2. 
<clears throat> Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. This is a comforting place too because Jesus is in our midst. These stars and candlesticks are the churches and they're the angels of the churches. What is the angel of the church? Some have said it's the pastor. Some have said it's that, it's that like maybe a guardian angel of that church that is watching over that church. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. And so in following Jesus for a long, long time, perhaps we've done our very best to be faithful to Him, rooting out false doctrine, trying to serve in whatever office of ministry God has placed us in, and doing our best for a long, long period of time. And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. It all sounds very, very positive. Like they have labored to be faithful to Jesus this whole time, and in serving others and in helping. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. What is this? What are these first works and this first love? This is that experience of new birth that we have when we are able to, what it's like when we are first able to believe in the grace of God and how overwhelmingly joyous it is and how our hearts rejoice in the love of Jesus. There's another place here in, uh, that I was going to touch on that a little bit that helps, that helps, that helps describe that here in 2 Corinthians. I could find that here. How when, uh, a little background on that, when Paul had, had uh, written to the Corinthians that there is sinful practices among you and you're not doing anything about it. And you need to, you need to deal with this. Because this, these things should never be happening among, in the church. There was some fornication and some immorality that happened among the congregation. And Paul said that this should never happen in the current, in, in, among, among God's people. And Paul wrote to them. And he, and he wrote them, he wrote to them quite harshly. That they would, right here in, uh, chapter 7. <clears throat> beginning with verse 8. Chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. Verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent. He felt a little bit bad about maybe being so harsh to them. But he had to write seriously that they would deal with this, because this can have fatal effect upon your souls. If there is open sin in the congregation, open sin in people's lives, and it's not repented of and dealt with, the Holy Spirit can leave. We're, we, we, are not, we are not Calvinists. We believe in the sovereignty of God and in, and in his, his, uh, his faithfulness and His care for us. But that whole doctrine of election business in Calvinism is a, is a rabbit hole that leads to self-righteousness 
and inward inward introspection and everything. How do you know if you're of the elect? How do you know that? Well, you have to have some fruits of faith, right? And so people begin to look within themselves for those fruits of faith. And that's, that's just an empty hole. Lutheran teaching is we look to Jesus. We look upon Jesus as the song says, I look not inward, I look not back, I look not around me. I look up into the face of Jesus, for there my heart can rest, and my fears are still. Looking into Jesus is like when the, when the, when they, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, and they had murmured and complained, and God sent fiery serpents among them. And many of them died from, that, from, the, from the infections, the poisonous serpents. And Moses cried unto the Lord, and God told him, Make, make a, servant, a serpent of brass, and put it up on a pole. And command the people that if they will even look upon that serpent of brass, that they will live. And he did that. And as many as obeyed the voice of Moses and just looked upon that serpent of brass, looked just like the fiery serpent, just like Jesus became one of us, looks, looks like us, even though we have the sinfulness, he doesn't. The brass serpent didn't have any poison in it. And if they looked upon it, doesn't even say they had to believe in it. Just look upon it. Look upon it and expect to be healed. And they were healed. So, by faith, we look up into the face of Jesus and we know that Him that cometh to me. You know, there can be, there can be a lot of fear. I, I can tell you this from my own experience. I went 30, 30 days and 30 nights without properly sleeping when I was a young man. Because of the fear of God's judgment, the fear of His wrath. Knowing that I was lost, having no hope. And until I was able to believe for myself, I know what, I know what the terror of the Lord is like. I can speak from very first-hand experience what the terror of the Lord is like. We don't want to be on the wrong side of God. He is a consuming fire, and He is perfect. We want to come to Him in brokenness, and He will, His, His delight, His motivation is to receive us and to shower us with His love. But we need to come in the right way. We need to come simply sorry for our sins and believing that, that Jesus, you are the Savior. I believe in you. I need what you offer. I need what you have. I'm a beggar of grace. I know you are merciful. I come to you. I believe that you are and that you will reward me for diligently seeking you. As it says in Hebrews. For though I made you sorry with a letter... I do not repent, he says. Though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. And that's what I began to touch on is, is the, the fruits of sin in this world is sorrow. There is sorrow from sin, but it is not the sorrow that leads to God. It is the sorrow of the world. Godly sorrow is that sorrow we have when we know that we have sinned against God. And that I, like, like the prodigal son in that parable says, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Just please make me as one of your hired servants. I'll do anything for you. 
I'm not worthy of anything, but please have mercy upon me anyway. This is the godly, the heart that has godly sorrow. It comes back to God. It doesn't run away from God. It comes back to God, believing in His mercy, that He is, God is so good. He has a good and a gracious will for us, which is the most manifested in the Son of God becoming one of us. And He went about doing good all those 33 years He was here. He went about healing and helping and teaching. And all He did was enrage the Pharisees and he spoke parables against them because they were self-righteous and they despised others. That is one thing that God hates, is that self-righteousness. That I am good and I am better than you. That is what God hates. That is one thing that He cannot stand. He wants us to have a gracious spirit. And when we have come into the kingdom of God, we know it is only by grace. And we look upon others as better than us. He says, let each esteem the other better than themselves. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. This is, makes us change. Godly sorrow. We have given up on our own efforts. We cannot do anything to, to produce righteousness. We can't do anything right. We, are, we, we have a broken heart. We don't claim anything for ourselves as if we're worthy of it. But we come in, in pure humility. Not to be repentant of. Never, never to be sorry about this. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. Look how careful you became. After you, after, as Lasadia says, sorrow after the mind of God. After God's mind was placed in you. And you began to hate that sin that you had committed. You, you were very, you felt very, very bad about it, and you hated it. You hated the things of, you hated sin. This is the difference when we have the Holy Spirit. We love the things that God loves, and we hate the things that God hates. What carefulness it wrought in you. There was one older, older, uh, in Finland, one older uh, minister that, that said that before I was a Christian and I didn't have the peace of God, I lived as carefully as I could, trying to do what, what was right. But after I became a Christian, <clears throat> I was ten times more careful. After I received the grace of God, and I had the love of God in my heart, and I loved my neighbor as myself, I did not want to in any way hurt my neighbor. But I came, became very, very careful to, to make sure that any dealings I had, that everything was above board, and I tried to take care of my neighbor in every way I could. Because love... When we have love, love doesn't want to hurt anybody. Love works no ill toward his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Now they're purging out sin among themselves. They want to, they want to, they want to get everything in the open and get everything dealt with. <clears throat> Yea, what indignation. All of a sudden now, they're, they're, they're upset that something like this could happen in their midst. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. And all these things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And so, that is what I was speaking of. This, this first love that he, when we first come to be able to believe that the grace of God belongs to us, such as we are, when Luther had labored for a long time 
in the in the monastery, striving for the peace of God, with whatever with, with the knowledge that he had at that time, trying to live a perfect life, so that he could be acceptable to a holy God, and never finding peace, fasting for days, withholding every pleasure from himself, and praying night and day, and performing all every good work he could think of. To the point that his health began to fail. And could find no peace. Could find no assurance that he was saved. When he was able to comprehend, through the help of the older brother Stoppitz, that, that the just shall live by faith, there is nothing you can do. It has already been done. Jesus has already accomplished everything on your behalf. You just need to receive this gift. And as I began to uh, describe in, in Lutheran teaching how we receive the gift through the preaching and through the absolution and through the, through the Lord's Holy Supper where we can gather together and partake of the body and blood of our Lord knowing that he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. There's a promise there. Given and shed for you for the remission of sins. And the promises that we have in baptism. Baptism, we believe, belongs unto those that are believing, who have come to understand that Jesus is the only mediator between God and men, and Jesus loves us and He has died for us. In our baptism, we are sealed into the covenant of His grace. In an outward way, we know that we belong unto Him. And when, often when, when Luther would be assaulted by the devil, saying that, you know, you have been so such an idol worshiper in your heart, and you have been so you have been so ungodly and so unbelieving, and you have been so slow to believe in the grace of God. Luther would simply reply that I have been baptized. I could, God has taken me into His fold. I have been baptized, and so we can look into our baptism too as one of those means of grace that we have in Lutheran teaching to know that we can sink our teeth into these things and not wonder whether it's been whether we have come in through the right way. And so, because in this time of, of, of visitation, when the Holy Ghost is calling you, you need to have, you need to, and when, and when the, the storms of life come also, the storms, the wind and the rain spiritually beat upon that house, it will fall if it is not founded upon a rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ and His doctrine that we know how we come to understand that we are Christians and how we have the grace of God upon our hearts and lives and souls. The first works, though, that first love, when we're able to follow Jesus. What's that? When we're able to first believe that joy that we experience Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Do you remember how it was when, perhaps when you were a new Christian, and you were able to believe uh, that, that, that you are of his fold, and the joy and the motivation you had, and how wonderful it was to gather. The first works, I think one of them, is the joy of gathering together with God's people. Isn't that one of the first works? The joy that you now have. You don't want to gather with, with, with you don't have any, any inward joy in gathering with others that don't, that don't follow Jesus. In, in, that, in that type of a, of, 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 of a, of a, of a mixed multitude, 
don't you find that when you're gathering with those that aren't following Jesus, that there's, there can be an oppression to your spirit? And I'm sure you've experienced this, that, that when you're not with the Christians, you're not free. You don't, you, because these, these other people do not, they do not love what you love. They do not understand the things that you understand. They're not living the way that you are. Their priorities are, are much different. And there can be an oppression there. And one of the first works is the love of gathering with God's people. To gather together with, with them and to also to open the Bible and to the joy of His Word. How we drink in His Word like living water. His Word is so good. I have found, I found that Word, what did it say in Psalms there? That, and I did eat it. I ate your Word. And it was so sweet. Your Word was so precious and so sweet. And how... And how we are encouraged to spend time in prayer even also. That God would bless us in, in times of prayer. And Because uh, often it can be, in, in the busyness of life, it can be easy to forget to spend time with God and to, and to ask Him for His help. God, show Your grace unto me in, in new ways. And lead me in, in every way. Lead me in, in all of my... Perhaps some of us have, you know, a lot of different relationships that we're dealing with. Uh, in, in, in the workplace and everything, God help us in every in every one of our relationships, and help us to be a light, and help us to be a blessing, and help us to be able to draw others to Jesus. And I remember when uh, we've been reading a little bit from uh, Lightenin's book uh, occasionally, and it was said of Lightenin that that every unbeliever he came into contact with, he asked them about their soul salvation. That are you saved? How is it with you? Do you have the peace of God in your heart? And if they could not answer in the affirmative, he would encourage them to pray for the grace of awakening. That you could awaken from the sleep of sin before it is forever too late. It was, it was old John Rekinen that used to say that the gospel preacher is like the, somebody yelling that the house is on fire. Because when people are asleep in their sins, when they don't have the Holy Spirit... They are, they are asleep and the house is burning down. These earthly tabernacles that we have, these bodies that we have, they are very temporal and they are soon going to fly away. And how important it is that we would wake up in this time of grace. We are priests of God and of Christ. We are reigning with Him right now. We have His authority. And we want to wake people up from the sleep of sin and say, wake up before it is forever too late. While the The doors of mercy are open. And while the blood is flowing in the church, and while the gospel is so close to us and so precious to us, and in our midst, where anybody, anybody can come and hear the gospel now. That is the, this is a golden age right now, when anybody can hear the gospel. But, as we are seeing, and touched upon the election here, we uh, we pray that as, uh, as, 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 you mentioned there that one of the blessed, one of the things that uh, in the small cat or the large catechism says about our daily bread is, is good government. Good government is a blessing. We pray that God would give us in our daily bread that He would give us good government and good leaders that would that would be able to lead properly. For this is a this is a time of apostasy. This is a time of great falling away, especially. Especially in, in other countries like in Europe, where the in what we might call the cradle of Christianity, where all the cathedrals are, and where the where the Reformation took place, 
there was a great falling away. I read recently where in the UK, uh, only 4% of the people attend divine service on any kind of a regular basis. 4%. That's almost nothing. We heard recently how, how many churches have become mosques in the UK? It's a, it's a frightening thought. And it's the same way in France and in, and in other places. Maybe not, not quite so much in Germany, I think, but, but it is very, very... There is the, the, the evolution atheism religion. And it is a religion, because it takes way more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. Faith in nothing. And this is a great time of... This is a time of falling away. And we do have some understanding that people kind of get the government that they want, that they deserve, too. And we kind of seen it there in our last election there, when Trump was elected, that it was a time of reprieve for us. We felt like... I told the kids the morning after the election that it's a better day. I was, I was so moved... I says, I says, you have a little time. It's, it's going to be a better day. We have today. Today is better than it was yesterday. And we ask that you would be also be blessed with good government. And God knows our needs. And God blesses us, not always according to what we deserve. Just think of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. If there had been ten godly people, He would have spared it. Remember that, I just love that place where Abraham is making deals with the Lord. The Lord appears unto, unto him in the form of, of, of these of, of, of three angels. And they have a conversation there with Abraham and Sarah. And it is such a, it is such a moving picture to me how God will condescend. The God of glory, the God of majesty. The God who fills heaven and earth, who opened up all of space, all of known and unknown space, just like this, just opens it up out of nothing. We are so infinitesimal. We are so tiny. We don't amount to anything. We're not even ants in His sight. And yet He condescends to us. He has made us in His image in his likeness. He comes and he, he's, he, he's born of a woman. The creator of everything is born of a, of, a, of a maiden in Bethlehem. But anyway, the angels come to Abraham and, they, and Abraham is making deals with God that if you can find 50 in those cities, Abraham knew how bad they were. We can, we can, we can be sure of that. Abraham knew all about it. But he says, if there's 50 there, will you spare it? And God says, yes, I will, I will spare it if there's 50 there. It will, may, maybe if there's 40. What do you think about that? Would you, was, would 40, 40's got to be enough, right? And yeah, I'll, I'll, God says, I'll spare it for 40. And finally he gets down, all the way down to 10, that peradventure, Abraham, then he, he kind of prefaces his, his remarks. He says, I shouldn't even be speaking unto you about this, but I'm so small that, but even if there was 10, do you think you could let it be? Because Abraham loves Lot, and he wants Lot to be spared. Abraham, even though Lot hadn't really treated him very good, this is the heart of a Christian, see. Lot hadn't treated Abraham very good. 
Remember how Lot chose all the better ground, you know, even though Lot was younger and should have deferred to his, his, his older uncle. Still, Abraham loves Lot. And he says, "Just I want." he's trying to get it spared for Lot's sake. But ultimately, there wasn't ten there. But we, we, we believe that in this, in this time in which we live, God will take care of us. He will spare us because He loves us and He wants us to be able to live. Some of the stuff they're proposing, like that, I don't know if you heard anything about that Green New Deal and, and some, of the, some of the radical socialism that's out there now that is gaining ground, it is absolutely destructive. It becomes like, okay, now where do we go? Because life won't work like this. We'll become like Venezuela. We can't even buy a loaf of bread. I mean, this is how the mind is without the fear of God and without the common, the common sense. They want to do away with uh, petroleum. Can you imagine the death and destruction that happens to the world when we lose the petroleum? We cannot produce food. You cannot get food into the cities without diesel fuel. There will be starving people everywhere. And so this is how stupid it is right now. Some of the stuff that's being proposed. But we believe that God loves us. He will, God will take care of us. He will take care of the children. He will preserve His people. And so we can trust in Him and believe in Him that, that even though... Uh, everything can look so look so dire and look so look look so so strange and look so so just I'm, sometimes I'm just in bewilderment that how, where are people's minds gone? There is no example of socialism, socialism and, commun- and communism that's ever worked in the world where it produced anything but misery. And so the people can still turn to that is really really a testimony of uh, perhaps God has given that, them over to a, a mind that that they can't think can't think properly. You know, uh, where does it say in Joel that the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall be turned into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come? And so perhaps it is, as we see these things come to pass, we need to lift up our heads and look up for our redemption draws nigh. And know that signs of the times should not, should not discourage us, but they should encourage us that Jesus is coming soon. And He will take us to be with Him. And we don't know what we're going to be like when He comes and gives us a new body, but we know that we're going to be like Him, like unto His glorious body. Because these bodies are not going to heaven. Flesh and blood cannot inherit eternal life. Corruption cannot inherit incorruption. And this, this mortal must put on immortality. We will be changed. He's going to give us a new body. A body that will never grow old. A body that will not have any more pain or any more sorrow or crying or tears. There will be no more death. No more loss. No more that horrendous heartache that we can have here. That's enough on the first love. I was going to go to chapter 3 now and read a little bit more here. If you can bear with me for a little bit longer. And then to the... Angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. 
Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So we don't know exactly what the state of this, of this church was, having a, a name that it lived, but was dead. He says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. And so, here we have warnings here, and we always need warnings in this life, because there's always problems just around the corner it it seems like and so that God would preserve our hearts and our minds in his word if we know what the Bible says then we're able to have discretion and be able to follow the pure gospel and to be be able to follow the, the, the Jesus of the Bible there is a lot of different teachings about Jesus out there and I'm sure you're aware of that and I would argue that they are different Jesuses, too, because they're not the Jesus of the Bible. As Uncle Ben has, been, has made very clear, the Jesus of the Bible is, is a very important thing to think about. That we would follow him and his word. And then we will, if you know, if you're my disciples, you shall, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So we have to have his word in our hearts. He that overcometh, the overcoming part. There is always this theme throughout the scriptures that if this, it is a battle. It is a battle between with the threefold enemy. The devil, who is always tempting us and whispering in our minds and producing bad thoughts and uh, tempting us away from whether we be toward self-righteousness or toward, or toward the sins and pleasures of, of this life or toward or toward indifference or coldness toward God and all these things there is the world the unbelieving world the thinking of the world and I'm sure you've experienced this how when you're with a bunch of worldly people and their thoughts are so strong that it can be very oppressive for a child of God to be able to confess your faith that I follow Jesus I follow I follow him when he's not popular there are times when Jesus is very popular and it's easy to follow him, but there are times when he's not. And that God would give us the grace and the strength to follow him when the whole world is running the other way. And that may happen. We may be called upon to stand for Jesus, even though everything else is falling away. Everybody else. And who knows what situations we can come into and what persecutions can arise as the days draw near toward the end. Because there's going to be a great persecution too. And it's going to be, it is going to uh, fall upon us to hold fast to Jesus. Because only He can help us. If we have His joy in our hearts, if we are watchful, watchful is like the number one thing we find when, when, when we think about end times. Jesus says, be watchful, be ready. Be ready for when the bridegroom comes. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. We want to be awake. We want to be ready. We want to have the oil of the Holy Spirit in our vessels so that we will not be found unprepared, that we will not be put to shame. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, 
And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works, Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and to worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. There's an hour of temptation coming. And it says that the devil is going to be able to do great signs and wonders before the end. Perhaps this refers to that place where he will be able to bring call fire down from heaven. And in what, whatever way this is, we don't know whether it's uh, some kind of a, of a natural event or if it is a spiritual uh, demonic type event. But we know that the devil is going to try to impress people uh, away from the gospel, especially in the end. And Jesus says that times are going to be so bad before the end that except those days would, would be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. If the days kept going like they were, nobody could be saved. The signs and the wonders are going to be so bad and so strong that pretty much irresistible. And so this is a very concerning thing. Because all of us, all of us, we, are, we want to be saved above everything else. And so we know how important this is. The urgency of this. And so we can pray that God preserve us no matter what's coming in the, in, in the end here. Whether we, some of us may live to see it, we don't know. We don't know whether he comes tomorrow or comes in a hundred years. We don't know, but we need to have our backpack ready to go. We need to be ready to go when he calls to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But, except those days should be shortened, I think that is really, really, it says a lot. There should no flesh be saved. But God will shorten the days of the world so that his, those of us, those, it refers to that election and that choosing again in that place. But we know that we can't see everything from God's side. But we see everything from, from our side. We know that him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And so, no matter how sinful we can feel, no matter how what we're guilty of. No, it doesn't matter. There is nothing that disqualifies us from the grace of God. So long that we want to come to Jesus. That is the number one thing. There is an unforgivable sin, the Bible speaks of. But in that unforgivable sin, a person is shut up. Is shut up in blindness, in hardness, and, and, and there's no sorrow there. 
and they do not have any desire to come to Jesus. I have seen lately, there's been two fairly well-known pastors that have left the faith in the last, well, one was about, I don't know, I'm guessing about ten years ago, and he's become an enemy of the gospel, and it is, it is a scary thing to behold. And recently there was that other uh, uh, Joshua Harris that was very well known in Christian circles, writing Christian books and everything, and he has recently left the faith. And it is, it is, it is a very uh, scary thing to think about these these people that, that that do these things. May God preserve us in His truth and in His love and in his patiently waiting for Christ. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might inherit the promise. For but yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. And he says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Then he goes on here, about yeah, just after the hour of temptation. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I'm going to go on here to the end. I'm going to uh, I'm going to go to Revelations uh, as our time is winding down. I'm going to go to uh, read a couple of things here from uh, from uh, chapter 21. And then a little bit from, from 22 also. Because these are so encouraging to us that we would know what is awaiting us so that we can have strength with the help of God to walk a few more footsteps on this road that leads to eternal life. That Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. As we dwell upon His Word, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And there is no need of the sun there. And God, who is the giver of light, in the presence of God, there is no darkness at all. In that new land, there will only be light, and no more nighttime. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he said, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. 
all things were made new at that time. So everything will be renewed. And you wonder, perhaps all of the missed opportunities you've had, all the things you missed out on in this life, there will be ample time in eternity to, I would argue that let's not worry about the missed opportunities and the things that we have lost and perhaps the deals that fell apart and the disappointments we've had here in this life. Let's not worry about that. Because God makes all things new and He will bring again that which has passed away. And He said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. Can't even imagine the blessings that are waiting. But the fearful and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So that's that second death. There's a first death in this life where these bodies die, but then that second death is later. And so if we understand that, that, uh, that first and second resurrection, that first and second death, it, it helps us to stay on the right track. And so... I just want to, but as I close here, I want to encourage, encourage you to keep believing in Jesus. Keep believing in the grace of God that has been poured out from Calvary. The grace that He showed that He, that He has blessed us with. The sin-forgiving voice of the gospel message. I want to testify to you to believe your sins forgiven in Jesus' name and in His precious atoning blood. Believe that your sins have been washed away, they have, and nailed to His cross. You can put your own name there and know that in Jesus our robes have been washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb. And we have, God will wash our bodies with pure water. Meaning that our lives, our outward life, there's a change when we're following Him. Let us pray that He would bless us with more of His Holy Spirit. Pray, God, give me Your Holy Spirit. Teach me, lead me, fill me, so that I may know what Your good and perfect will is. And that I may may walk with You and be like You. So that He would also wash our minds from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, that He would enlighten our minds too, to think properly, because there is so much of the other kind of thinking in this world. May God bless us and keep us, and always seek us, and know that He will walk with us. Even if we err, that He will lead us back. If we fall, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. If there's any, if there's any uh, stumbling on the way that when we are in community, Jesus has placed us, He has established Christian community where we can life, have life together in the community of believers. And in that life together, we hold each other up and we want to be loving, and we want to lift 
the ones that, that are having trouble. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now may the Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make His face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up His countenance upon us and give us everlasting peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.
for coming today. Thank you, Alex, for being willing to share. Um, we have a panel today.